Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that the show is both on Instagram and Twitter under Unstructured P. Please come by, check it out if you like the show, say hello, and tell me what you think. Thanks. My name is Eric Hunley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, we're joined by another OG podcaster. Jim Harold has been around for a decade and a half doing podcasting. Now, I've had Todd Cochran on. I think I don't know which of you has been doing it longer. I think he Todd's might been edge longer. you. Yeah, Todd's, Todd's longer because I think he was 2004. I'm 2005. Okay, so you're a you're sophomore. <laughs> That's right. I'm like the second wave of OGs in 2005 because there were people before me in, in 2004, yeah. Now, what's really cool about you, though, is you've made your living not on podcasting itself, like selling podcasting to podcasters or hosting to podcasters. You actually have a show, Paranormal Podcast, and another one, Campfire. So you've kind of built out a little bit of a network, I'd say, maybe influenced by Leo Laporte. You betcha. That's exactly who I was in, uh, influenced by. It's funny, even if you can see me on video, even my room looks uh, coincidentally a little like uh, the, the room that he started out in. But that's actually coincidence because my room happened to have wood paneling. But back in 2005, very early I heard of this thing called podcasting. I always loved talk radio, uh, loved Laporte from his days on tech TV and ZDTV and started looking up his radio show. And he started talking about this thing called podcasting. I discovered Adam Curry, Daily Source Code. And I listened to those guys and I'm like, I can't do what they do. They've been, they've been broadcasters for decades. <laughs> They're fantastic. And then I listened to some of the 2005 era um, kind of podcast. And I said, oh, but I can't do that. So I started as a hobby in 2005, <laughs> went to 2012 uh, as a hobby slash sideline, started generating some income. And 2012, I was able to go full time and I've been doing it full time for about seven and a half years now. Things have changed in that time, but some things remain the same. For example, you can listen to a lot of shows now and say, yeah, I could do that too. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's like anything else. I mean, there's there's a, every town in America you go, there's a musical instrument store and there's a lot of guitar players. And I don't consider myself a Jimi Hendrix or an Eric Clapton or anything like that. I consider myself a, a good professional guitar Session player. Session man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not, I don't consider myself to that up, up level, but certainly I, I hope that I'm professional enough now. And I guess I make money at it, make my living at it. So I guess that's the definition of professional. But I, I feel so Literally. blessed to be able to do this. I mean, my audience has been so kind. Uh, so I just consider myself a really lucky guy, and I have uh, podcasting to thank. Right, and you also have a third show. Now, I know you have other shows too, but we'll, we'll yes. stick with that. Um, Pod Lords. Yes. Starting off with the intro. Is that Mike Russell? That is Mike Russell. Yes. Okay. Uh, he He's fantastic. He does a great job in his uh, company. I just uh, hired them again, Music Radio Creative, to do some little liners for my uh, other podcasts. But he's fantastic. So I just sent the script over and he, he did a fantastic job on it. And uh, it's just kind of to set the stage and the concept of the show is to talk to a lot of those original podcasters. And I certainly want to work some newer people in as well. And uh, I want to talk to a lot of different podcasters. But at least initially, I want to really focus on the OG podcasters. We've had, you mentioned Todd Cochran, Dave Jackson, mm -hmm. Rob Wall. 
Paul, Chelsea David Escobar, Hooper I've had on. Yeah, David Hooper uh, was on. So, you know, people going back quite a quite a few years, Rob Greenlee. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to talk about podcasting and kind of get their perspective of where it's been and where it is and where they think it's going. Now, it also kind of put you in with the group. I know you've mentioned it during the show multiple times that you were sort of standing on the side saying, hey, yo, I've been yeah. here. <laughs> well, here was the thing was, um, you know, I listened to all the podcasts about podcasting. Another one's Ray Ortega I didn't mention. He's, mm. he's I'm like, I've been doing this as long as those guys <laughs> and nobody knows who I am. So, I mean, I guess it was kind of selfish that I kind of wanted to put myself out there and raise my hand and say, Hey, I'm here too. But also the other thing about it was a little less selfish. You know, the one thing that does concern me a little bit about podcasting these days is I think some of the big conglomerates or some of the people moving into it, not necessarily the indies, but the big guys, they, they all think podcasting just started in the last 18 months, which we both know it did not. So <laughs> I wanted to at least do my little bit in saying, hey, these people were here before and they kind of helped build this. Now, welcome aboard. Uh, glad to have you. Let's build this thing out even bigger and let's have innovation and do new things. You know, it's not 2005. I think Mark Asquith recently said this, you know, you got to adapt. We've got to progress. We can't. And Evo Terra, who's been on the show as well, both of them, the, he's a big proponent of looking forward. So I'm not saying mm -hmm. things should be like they were in 2006, but we should recognize that there was a 2006 and there were these people who helped build this medium. And let's, let's, Take that ball and and go forward. And ironically speaking, they're the overnight sensations. Well, that's the thing, <laughs> right? Isn't that well, the, the average thing? overnight sensation is 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I found that, I mean, for what I do is now it's like I'm the old guy. I mean, for my campfire show, uh, particularly, I have a lot of families that listen to it because they're ghost stories, basically, or mm -hmm. supernatural stories. And now I'm starting to get the people who say, I grew up listening to you. And I'm like, oh. Gosh, oh no, oh no. <laughs> well, you raised <laughs> a child happening. through this. Yeah, yeah. T-ball well, to college, right? Yeah, yeah, well, two. Uh, my youngest one is not quite raised, but she's in her uh, <clears throat> junior year of high school, so almost there. But yeah, that, that's one regret, I got to say. I spent a lot of time in this room editing podcasts and recording podcasts. I missed out on some time with them. Uh, but all in all... I think it's been a good thing for my family. I know it's been a good thing for me, and uh, just podcasting has been great. Well, one thing you've said in an interview on Podlords that I really like, it's a great message, I think, that needs to go out there because there's a lot of people who want to move in. They're saying, look at all these rich podcasters. I want to get there. I want to <laughs> start a show. And your quote was, you don't get rich quick. You get middle class slow. Yeah. I, I mean, I, now, granted, there are some outliers. I know uh, there have been people who have listened to my show and, and started a podcast and you know way surpassed me in a couple of cases, and that's fine. I mean, it was nice to be the inspiration for somebody like that. But in general, I don't think, unless you have an existing platform, if you're mm -hmm. a radio person or you're known on the internet or you have a TV show, if you do not have an existing platform and you're starting from ground zero... That's going to take some time to build. Now, that doesn't mean you can't build it. It right. just means it's not going to be, you know, I do get some people who will contact me and say, Jim, I know you've been doing this all time for years. How do you do it? How can I do this and quit my job next month? And I said, well, you might as well just buy a lottery ticket because you have about <laughs> the same chance. But 
I would never, never, never say to someone it can't be done because I did it and I know others have done it. Now, I will say this. New people have a steeper hill to climb. Yeah, there's more resources right. to learn. There's better equipment. Uh, you know, I started with a USB Plantronics headset and a crappy Windows computer. So, I mean, today, somebody can spend 60 bucks and get the Samsung Q2U or the ATR2100 and have mm -hmm. pretty darn good sound right out of the gate. So those things are there. That's a plus. That's a positive. More people know what podcasting is. The difficult part is there's a way more competition. Could I replicate what I've done if I started in 2019 as opposed to 2005? I don't know that I could, but That'd I would never say I would never say that somebody else couldn't. Well, the person I'm thinking of who is very impressive came out of nowhere and has done it. I think is um Jack Resider of Darknet Diaries. Yeah, and I think he he's similar to you. You found you found a vein that wasn't being covered. You know, a genre. There's a built-in audience for it. You nailed it exactly on the nose, even with the name. And that really helped you on liftoff. I feel like he has done that too. There really was no story-based podcast about computer security and hackers out there. And there was a huge audience just waiting for that show to come along. And he yeah. did it. He puts out a fantastic show. So I think he's one of those rare examples of someone. And it still took him a couple of years. Yeah, I think it takes time. And I do think it takes some luck. I mean, two, two pieces of luck for me were... You know, when I started, nobody had taken the name The Paranormal Podcast. And now if you type Paranormal Podcast into Google, guess who comes up? Right. Uh, me. That was a little bit of luck, you know, and initiative because I did it and somebody else didn't. Well, and, and now you have so much content that the SEO is automatically going to bury anybody else. Right. And then the campfire <laughs> is, you know, there. Now there's other shows that use that campfire in their title, but I... I'm relatively sure, as far as I know, I'm the first. Right. So, I mean, I'm so associated with it. And that was a little later. That was 2010 when I started that show. And that's really the show that I think has allowed me to go full time because that show, for whatever reason, it's probably paranormal podcast, probably 80% of the audience of that one, but campfire people really resonate with people want to tell their spooky stories. And almost everybody, even people who are non-believers have some kind of story. Well, I think you've got the perfect formula with campfire because it is literally the audience for the show is the show. Right. So it's self-referential. Um, somebody who tells their story on campfire is going to be a loyal listener even beyond their episode, they're already into it. They believe in this stuff. They follow it. And they're going to make sure that every one of their relatives and friends yep. listens to the show. And they'll probably keep listening to because then they are interested in, oh, what about this story? What about that story? So I, I think that you and again, that didn't come right away. I think you found that formula after what, three years, no, five years almost of doing another show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'd just done the Paranormal Podcast if I ever could have gone full-time because it's a straight interview show. I think it's a good show, and it gets good numbers, but it doesn't have quite the you know grip of, of the campfire, which people— And I think the other thing about when I started it, I just started as like a one-off episode of the Paranormal Podcast because I didn't have a guest that week. And I mm. said, oh, it'll be fun to have people tell their stories. And then people really liked it, and I'm like, oh— 
oh, we wow. have something here. Yeah. So uh, basically what ended up happening was uh, I started the show and just people appreciated it more than I realized. They felt that it was a safe place to go. You know, the, the whole safe mm. space thing kind of annoys me, but to be honest, <laughs> but, but cause I'm an old guy. Uh, but no, no, in I this know. case, I think there's something to that from the sense of an understanding you, ear. Yeah. People get made fun of sure. for having, and, and, and I've talked, you know, there, there's people who say, you know, I have lunch with the aliens every third, third Tuesday of the month, but most of the people that come on the show, the vast majority, and that is, that's not hardly any, of our audience for campfire. Most of the people come on and said, you know, I'm 30, 40, 50 years old, whatever. I've had one, most two experiences and here they are. And I've had people come and say, I really didn't believe in this stuff, but this thing happened and I don't know what it means. And what's interesting is we also have people who come on and say, okay, they tell their story and then 10 other people will come on and say, well, I didn't think anybody else experienced this, but here's what, you know, what happened to Mildred in Iowa, something <laughs> like that happened to me too. And here it is. So, I mean, the audience has been so great and supportive and I really believe the vast majority of them are being very, very sincere that they've experienced something weird. And I am a believer in the supernatural. Now I think I'm a logical believer. You know, I, my goal is to keep an open mind, but not so open my brains fall out. <laughs> and, but I do believe something's, going on i think the world is far more mysterious than we understand and and hopefully that comes across on the shows i would put myself as pretty skeptical but i'm also not an atheist in a foxhole right, right. <laughs> i i am a, a a dedicated agnostic there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that and and the answers you know when i started this back in 2005 with the interview show, the paranormal podcast. And I got some really good guests. I got the guy who like first, second week, first of all, was like, what is a podcast? But, um, I got the guy who basically, and he just passed this last year, but the guy who basically put Roswell on the map, oh, wow. uh, Stanton Freeman. And, um, I got some really good guests the first, uh, couple months that I was doing a podcast, which amazed me. Have you had Grant and, Hancock by chance? Uh, I have not. He is, you know, we've met. I actually, um, the odd thing about that is I have moderated a panel with Graham Hancock on it, but, uh, hmm. then uh, it's very tough to get hold of. So Graham, if you happen to be listening to this, you have an oh. open invite. Uh, and his wife is friends with me on Facebook. I don't, I don't get it, but I think he's just such a busy guy. But, uh, anyway, the point being, that I thought, oh, I'm going to do this for six months. I'm going to have this supernatural stuff figured out because I had a legitimate interest from when I was a wee lad and watched In Search of with Leonard Nimoy. So I was really interested in this stuff my whole life. And I thought, oh, six months. I'm going to have this all figured out. Well, I'll say one thing. I'm more convinced than ever 14 years on that something's going on. I am less convinced of what it is, what it means. I have so many more questions I have when I started. So really, it is going down the... You know, we talked about going down the rabbit hole. It's going down the <laughs> rabbit hole because I don't know what's going on, but I'm pretty sure something is. Well, it's funny. We're about the same age. And I would say that I also had an authoritative influence on me in my childhood and the supernatural. And I watched Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I watched Scooby-Doo too. <laughs> it was always a guy with a projector. Exactly. <laughs> Gee, so Scoob, I, I, it's a projector. <laughs> Zoinks. But anyway, yeah, that, you know, I did, I have thought about that, that that was 
an influence too in a very weird way because my story was I'd gone to school for broadcasting mm -hmm. and I ended up working in radio, but I worked on the sales side and the advertising side. So... I was a frustrated broadcaster when podcasting came around. That's part of the reason I wanted to do it. And the funny thing was, is years on, just Thank back God to you the were. origin story. Well, this is the thing. I was so irritated for the first, whatever it was, 12 years of my career that I ended up in sale. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't loathe that I enjoyed parts of it, but most of the parts I enjoyed were the creative parts, like writing copy and those kinds of things. Right. But the truth is, had I not had that experience, I could never do what I'm doing now because I basically run a media company. I sell the ads. I'm on the air. I edit, although I have recently enlisted some editors to help me out because you can only do so much. But I kind of do it all. And those years in the business, the radio business, I basically, and I always did this, and I didn't know why, I watched how every department of the radio station ran. And I was always interested in it. And it turned out I was training myself for a job that didn't exist. It's significant and, too, though, yeah. because you learned to diversify. You learned so many different ways that the radio station could, A, get the word out, and B, how you could earn. Because you can't earn just one thing. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to no. run ads, and I'm done. No. I mean, some can. Obviously, Joe Rogan could live Joe off Rogan of his ad money. Yes, yes. Uh, but Jordan I, Harbinger, same sure, thing. Sure, sure. And for me, it's uh, diversification. I have a premium club that is very important. I produce premium-only shows. I guess they're not technically podcasts because they're not on RSS. I want to ask sell, you about that, too. Yeah, I, and I can explain. I sell books. I have advertising. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a few different things. I sell merchandise. Now the merchandise and the books aren't nearly as much as the other parts, but the idea is to, it's like any business. You want to diversify. So if one thing lags, you're not mm -hmm. left uh, on the curb. With your um, premium content, about what is the overall breakdown? I mean, don't give me the numbers, numbers, but I mean, percentage wise, um, how, how much is your premium versus your ad sales, for example, uh, overall? Well, I would say I'm probably about a 50-50 split on revenue. Really? Uh, okay. And um, Libsyn, I run my premium through Liz Libsyn. And basically, I put out uh, eight plus only episodes a month. And they're about 30, 40 minutes apiece. Now, what style then, are they? Uh, interview. Interview. Uh, it's basically like the Paranormal Podcast, but on specific um, on specific topics. You can check out my Spooky Studio app, and there's a listing of all all the uh, different shows there that I do. How do you and, pitch that to the guests, though? And I'm sorry to keep interrupting. Yeah, I'm just no, no, very no, no, curious. no. I tell them forthright that it's premium. It's like a you know, it's like being in a magazine. But then I provide them a, a link where they can you know, listen to it unencumbered a separate link. But the point mm -hmm. being that, um, the point being that to me, it's like being on a cable station, right? Or being a, you know, I am forthright with them that it is a smaller audience, but I also bring them over on my free shows when I get a chance, if they're a really good guest or okay. so forth and so on. So it's never been an issue where we're upfront with it. Okay. Do you um, use it like a feeder league sometimes? Sometimes. Sometimes. I wouldn't say always, but if somebody's very deep in something that doesn't fit in one of the other shows, um, I can put them in one of theirs. And there's a number, there's a number of different shows I do for that. Like series, each one has its own individual artwork, but those are not listed on Apple Podcasts or anything because they're only through my app and on my Plus website. And and then I have my free shows, Paranormal Podcast, Campfire, Pod Lords, one that I recently started with my wife, Soulmate Stories, mm. which is uh, just us talking about life and sharing some stories of our listeners about 
how they got together. And then uh, Jim Harold's Crime Scene, which is a true crime show, which actually I started back in 2011 before Serial. It's an mm. interview show, and I've interviewed Pulitzer Prize winners and all kinds of different people. But I could kick myself five times over, Eric, because I started as a premium show. Oh. Uh, big mistake. If I had started that, if I'd started that in 2011 as a true <laughs> it'd be, crime it'd be show. say campfire. I, oh, that that was doused. No. I would be, I would be talking to you from my gleaming studios, possibly. <laughs> Because I would have preempt, but it's not the thing is it's an interview show, so I'm not sure that it would ever have that kind of appeal because people on the true crime side love the storytelling shows, the narrative shows. Are so, most but, of your shows interview based? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's just kind of my format, and that's why I grew up with. I loved. I was like a weird kid. I would listen to talk radio, you know. So I've always loved talk radio, and and it's funny because I in a Cleveland radio and TV group on Facebook, and somebody was putting down um, podcasts, and I and I kind of said, "Well, wait a minute here," and I gave them some of the stats and the fact that it's projected to possibly be a billion right. dollar industry next year and so forth. And um, one guy's like, "Well, you know, I don't care for talk radio. I've never liked." Podcast. It's like, well, if you don't like talk radio, you're probably not going to like podcasts too much, right? Well, uh, for the most part, I don't like audiobooks. He also said, and it's like, well, oh well, there you go. Well, I mean, you know, you're a music radio guy, but the thing is, is that you know, it it the premium thing has been key because that's when I knew I could make a living at this. I launched sure. it in 2011, and the first day I launched, I had something like 150 to 200 signups the first day. It's seven dollars and ninety five cents a month, or you that's get a solid. deal. Yeah, you get a deal if you sign for a year. And I should mention that my free shows after 13 weeks go into an archive. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you go to my site now, you can get, I don't know, 40, 50 shows for free. If you go right. to my Plus Club, you can get over 1,800 episodes. Right. So, so there's a little bit of difference there. Well, that's helpful too. Like if you interview somebody significant, like you mentioned earlier, well, that's in the archives. So there are right. some people who may go hit the archives just literally to find some of the um, right. uh, featured yeah. interviews. Yeah, and I just say, you know, if you love the free content and you're happy with it, you know, there's always going to be free content here. We're putting out, I put out something like, how many shows do I put out a week now? About six shows a week. And um, one, two, three, usually three or four of those are, only two of those a week are plus only. So the vast majority of what I put out, if you subscribe and you stay subscribed, everything going forward you're going to have right. a year now from two years from now. Now, if you're a super fan and you, you love it and you want to support what I do, then you can right. sign up to the Plus Club. But if you don't want to, and the vast majority of people don't because that's any subscription service. It's anything, it's freemium. Most people use the free side. It doesn't even take that many of a percentage to to sign up for the premium to make it work. Um, so I'm like, no problem. I understand. There's a lot of streaming services out there. There's a lot of people asking for your money every month. So if you can't do it, hey, all I ask is you listen, you subscribe, and you tell your friend. That's 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 all the payment I need. And if you're a super fan, yeah, by all means, check out the Plus Club. But I never direct people to the Plus Club first. Never. Always to the free content. Well, that's good. And uh, over time, they, they may feel like they want to support it. They may have to get used to the show for a while. Yeah. And start to, you know, well, really yeah. I have it never, become part of their life. That, that makes no sense. I mean, even if I like, let's say there's a freemium podcaster out there and I listened to their shows and I liked it. I'm sure it would take me six, eight, 12 months, even if I loved them say, yeah, I'm going to put that extra 
money down every month. So uh, I'm just very appreciative to the audience, whether they're the free audience or the premium audience. And I think that's one thing I'd like to get across to podcasters is to be genuinely appreciative and responsive to your audience. I, they're your bosses. And mm-hmm. and it's if you're a hobby podcaster and you're just doing it for fun and you don't care, you know, if anybody's listening or you don't care what they think, that's one thing. But if you're trying to serve a community or you're trying to make a business, it's uh, I think listener appreciation is really, uh, really important. Well, no matter what you charge, people are paying for it. They're paying yeah. the time. And time is super That's significant right. because yeah. there's only yeah. so many hours and so Actually, much Actually, time is more valuable than money if you think about it. I mean, yeah, if we you all ask, die. Yeah, if you ask somebody on their deathbed, it's like, well, you've got $100,000 in the bank. Uh, you know, would you pay 50000 for another year, healthy year? Yep. Well, people would, most people probably say yes. Yeah, and look that at Warren goes up Buffett. to all the ways, yeah, all the way up to the billionaire. Yeah, he, so, he's way up there and he has to, he, I think he's even said, I can't buy more life. Yeah, well, that's the thing I always say on the show because people say, <clears throat> Jim, what paranormal subject? And when I talk paranormal, I'm talking everything. I'm not, most people these days, because of the TV shows, associate that just with ghosts. I do not. I associate that with UFOs, cryptid creatures, ghosts, a whole range of things. So when people say, well, what interests you most? And I said, it's easy. There's no contest. The afterlife. Because we're not <laughs> all going to see Bigfoot. We're not all going to see a UFO. Uh, we're not all going to run into a full body apparition. But guess what? We're all going to die. So that's the that's the topic that I would like to know the most about. And I think most people, if they told the truth, they would too. Yeah. And speaking of which, you've mentioned um, liking the Loch Ness Monster, being pretty fascinated with that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. The reason that I give a theory like that more credence than something like a Bigfoot, although I do many Bigfoot interviews and I'm not totally, <laughs> I'm not, of all the different kind of things we cover, that's one that I'm a little more skeptical of because and more so all the time with every camera we have out there to trip on wildlife all the time why why haven't we found remains or so forth and there are stock answers that bigfoot researchers have they might be right too but it's just that's a little tougher for me Loch Ness though anything underwater and of course lock it's enclosed but the point is is that underwater it's a lot more mysterious there's a lot more room for mm-hmm. strange things to exist and they don't necessarily have to be anything supernatural they could just be animals that we thought were extinct or those kind of things so sea creatures i think are interesting because scientists are discovering new species in the ocean you know probably every week have so, you heard about the greenland sharks i have not heard about the greenland sharks now there's debating but they definitely i believe have found ones that are at li- over 200 years old at a minimum totally These are like, believable, yeah. now the reason why this is significant is there is a question because um loch ness was at one point open to the sea hundreds right. of years ago there is that weird distinct possibility that you could have a creature that lives hundreds of years within right. there right and this is my point is that and then the debunkers will say, well, there have been film out and there have been photographs and been proven to be fakes. Well, just because some are proven True. to be fakes does not mean everything is a fake, you know. And are there people who hoax things? Yes, unfortunately, there are stupid people and, and cruel people. I think it's horrible when people fake things like Bigfoot or Loch Ness or UFO or whatever, ghost, whatever. I think that's terrible. I think that's reprehensible. But that does not preclude the possibility that these things really exist. And I think that's that's fascinating. I did not know about that piece of research. And that's why I always say, been doing it 14 years, I always learn something new. <laughs> well, this is one, too, that I, 
I've heard about recently, and it's one of those that, you know, I read about and everything. I don't necessarily note it down. Now I'm getting in the habit of actually taking notes and just saying, I'll use this later. But alien abductions, there is a theory about that. And the reason the theory came about is that the stories are very similar over and over with the bright light and the, um, the eyes, etc. Mm-hmm. And the theory is that it's actually childbirth. They have a memory of being born. And if you think about it, there's always the anal aspect of it. Well, and then they get slapped and, and everything else. So if you think of a haziness, people have memories that go way back and a, a random memory like that actually lines up if you think about it. Well, it, it it does in that sense. And, you know, that's really an interesting idea. I'd not heard that before. What fascinates me about the UFO thing these days is if you see that gun camera footage um, that the Navy recorded um, a few years back and just came out a couple of years ago, and the pilot was just on Joe Rogan. We talked about Joe Rogan. He gets everybody. Of uh, course. Well, Jordan Harbinger <laughs> now, too. Yeah. I, I'm I'm looking at his guest list going, oh. Well, yeah, this 12 is, years this from now, I'll be there, buddy. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> What's my excuse? But uh, <laughs> but anyway, the, the, the point being that um, that to me is very credible. Now, does that mean that that was necessarily an alien spacecraft in that uh, Tic Tac video? If you've seen that black and white grainy gun camera footage, <laughs> look it up. I mean, this was in the no, New I, York oh, well. Times. This is not. This is not any like weekly world news stuff here. And uh, the pilot was on Rogan. And the thing was, this was what appeared to be some kind of craft or something that was moving at a huge speed. Now, could be little green men, could be military experiments, right? Right. And that could, that's hard to know. It, right. Like the question about Roswell and whether we gained technology after that point or the reverse, is what if that was our own technology? And we already had Operation Paperclip going on. Yeah, that was on. with the Nazi scientists that came over. Well, so there was a lot of things that we really did not want to talk about anyway. Yeah, that was a very high... Th- there was something that happened on that base, though, because... Oh, sure. Uh, if you look at the headlines, there was a headline, and I think it was the Roswell Daily Record or something next day, Flying Disc Fan Found, and there was an actual press release a press mm-hmm. release from the Army Air Corps. It wasn't even Air Force yet. It was the Army right. Air Corps base there. And it said, we found a flying disc. And then, right. then they walked it back the next day. And it's like, no, they something happened. Now, Annie Jacobson, who's been on my shows, who is fantastic. And she's... Uh, Works for the LA Times, and she's been on Rogan. And yeah, I vaguely uh, remember. Yeah, she did a book on Operation Paperclip. She did a one on Area Fifty One. She did one on Roswell. Highly recommend her book. She's totally a serious journalist. She has a very interesting theory. I won't go into it here, but it did involve Earth-based technology and possibly mm. the Soviets. I was because thinking it might have been misinformation. Yeah, the, deliberately. The, yeah, very well. You have to read the book. I don't want to spoil the book, but a very interesting theory she has. So. The thing is, is that um, I think that something's been going on in the skies for the last 60, 70 years. And, and, and one thing that you mentioned has always intrigued me is how technology has advanced so quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 1945, I mean, it might might as well be 1900, you know, in the way a lot of people lived. I know sure. my parents were from West Virginia and where my mom lived was back in the sticks so far. They didn't get 
electricity, I think, until like 1969, 1970. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah, which is crazy if you think about it, because it's not that long ago. Well, follow the internet trail. I mean, go drive around rural areas, and you're not getting jacked for internet. It's not that different in terms of that. It takes a lot of money and time to roll this stuff out. Now, most of the years I was growing up, and I'm 50, most of the years I was growing up, Eric, I had... uh, one phone in the house. Mm-hmm. It was a black dial phone that was on the kitchen uh, wall made by a Western Electric. With a really could, long cord. Really long cord. <laughs> and you could use it. It also doubled as a murder weapon. Oh, yes. You know, and all those old Columbos, they would use the phone receiver. Now I have this, which is a... a I'm computer. shocked. I'm shocked. It's a computer, yeah. Which has obviously greater power than uh, the computers that sent us to the moon. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, it used to be there was more... <laughs> what was it? It used to be there's more computing power than you had on the... Um, rockets now it's there's more computing power than you had in the space center yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, it's yeah i mean it's crazy and and i mean is it just man's ingenuity had that has allowed us to move compress this time yes. you know for you go from is it just man's ingenuity or was there a little help did that was there something reverse engineered just asking the question i think it's ingenuity simply because of communication advances. If you look at the communication advances that took place, we managed to compress distances and time so much more. So starting with Morse code, you know, did it, did it, did it, did it. now suddenly you're sending the telegram um, mass distances very, very quickly. So now you're able to share information. Now, the more we go and the more information we can share, the faster it gets. Right, it snowballs. Exactly. And then that's where we are. I think it's called the flywheel effect. I'm in the kind of computer yeah. networking is it, world. Is it Moore's Law? What is yeah, Moore's it? Law yeah. has been computer, around. Yeah, computing power doubles every 18 months or am I thinking of Right. Else? And we've actually gone beyond Moore's Law. He, he kind of uh, shortchanged how rapidly it went. But a good example is I've just heard, I think it was Jamie Metzl talking about it, but um, CRISPR, which is some really oh, yeah. creepy stuff. Yeah, it gets, but, can do some great things, but it could do some really scary things too. Well, the equivalency of finding the um, the idea of CRISPR that you could edit at all or do anything all the way to a child being changed took place over, I think, five years. The space program took 30 years. So as you put it, it's the same equivalency right. of, of task. But why was it so much faster? And the reason he proposed, and I, I think it makes so much sense, is you have mass communication. Look, you and I are talking to each other face-to-face over a computer, real-time, in different states. I'm on the East Coast in Virginia. You're somewhere up north in Cleveland. Yeah. And we're speaking real-time. We're recording it, and well, then we're going to drop know, this knowledge to the world. You don't have to go back that, that far. Remember Nightline with Ted Koppel? Oh, yeah. We would have needed a satellite to do this a few years ago. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, Not yeah. that long ago. I mean, it, it, there's a, and you're probably familiar with it, there's a great uh, program, and there's been other programs like this, but this one is really catching on StreamYard, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, is a video thing. And I, I was doing a Halloween party the other night. Now, granted, it's not quite as crisp as I'd like to see, and there's some improvements sure. I think they need to make. But the point being is I was bringing in guests from all over the world, people from England and things. I have mm-hmm. four or five people. We're talking in real time. We would have had to have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of in- equipment to do this when I graduated from school for broadcast. Oh, yeah. And you have Get Vocal, which is free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's astounding. So that, that's what I'm saying is, is if you take all this ability, you know, it's kind of like all the highways have been laid. It's very easy to transport goods across the interstates yeah, versus that's, the that's wagon. That's a good point. 
That's a good point. Although and, there could have been someone who engineered backward engineered something at some point. I'm just saying, not saying it is just saying it's possible, but I agree sure. with you. The vast majority of this is because of man's ingenuity. I would agree. Well, and it's, and it's really hard to know. Like, um, uh, I think you talked about another show, uh, coincidental writings or synchronicity with, um, Titan and Titanic and Jules Verne. Oh, wow. And things like that. Now, yeah, the, what the, popped in my mind though, because I admit that that's really freaky, but then I can't help but think, have you ever watched some of Darren Brown? I have not. Darren Brown is a master illusionist and he toys with people. He's primarily a mentalist and he does things like talk somebody or convinces somebody to kill somebody. You know, well, to I think shoot I them did or, see this. Did he have a Netflix special or something? Oh, he's had this? a few now. Yeah, I think but, I um, did see him now. The there's an early one where... He had some ad executives and he had, and this is on YouTube. You can look it up later, but essentially the way it worked was he's in the room with them and he gives them a piece of paper and he has a drawing on it with the concept, but it's face down. And he says to them, here's these basic products and I want you to come up with a campaign. Right. Well, they draw out almost exactly what he had on the paper. Now you're kind of going, what? How in the world? Well, then he backed up and he showed on the drive there in the shop windows, there was like this gate principle and other things that they visually were exposed to on their way in. Now, the reason why I bring that up is this is a guy and he's a hypnotist, he's a mentalist, he's all that, and he's planting these. Is it possible that these earlier writings were in our subconscious because they've been around for a long time and for some reason you know it just felt right to have florida over texas to have a rocket go off we don't even know why we did it but we were sort of exposed to it well to your point i mean you see now so much i think years ago and it's probably obsolete by now but like 10 or 15 years ago one of the cable stations did this uh, special with William Shatner where he talked about the technology of Star Trek and how we're seeing it today and we're seeing oh, yeah. that now that a lot of the things that we saw in science fiction they eventually do happen and, yeah. and some of that's overt uh, being inspired you know somebody seeing this hey I'm talking to somebody on my phone what does that look like? Dick Communicator. Tracy. Well that yeah there you go I've got one of those. I forgot to put it on. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the communicator looks like the communicator. And especially remember the old flip phones. They really Absolutely. look like they look just like a communicator. So there is something to what you're saying. I, I, I think definitely. I also, though, I do wonder if there is a, a collective, I think Young called it the collective unconscious, but I'll oh, sure. get that screwed up. The idea that there are certain archetypes and memes that are they're floating out there somewhere and unbeknownst to us, we tap into them. You know, the, why mm -hmm. does the same person, you know, uh, was it um, Farnsworth was working on the television, but there was somebody else working on it at the same time, almost using the same principles. And they're in totally different parts of the world, but they have the same ideas. You know, well, we have that with comedians and so forth. We have the comedians and, and there's arguments over that. And I, right. I forgot the term for it, but, um, oh God, I, I, I wish I thought of that ahead of time, but yeah, where you, two people could think of the same thing. Sometimes it's very blatant. Like right. if you have a typhoon, well, guess what? There's going to be a bunch of typhoon jokes and a lot of them are be almost word for word right. because they're comedic minds. Right. Well, if you take the engineers, well, they sort of is going that direction. Okay. Radio is big. What is next? Right. Uh, something, you know, visual, but I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I also think of uh, Mark Twain, I believe you said, um, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. I like that one. And a lot of these things I think are there. And some of the supernatural, I think of like, um, 
Have you ever read up on genetic memory at all? Yes. Epigenetics, that kind of thing. Uh, essentially, but like a, a kid will suddenly be really good on the piano for some crazy reason. They just seem to adapt to it. And that turns out that their great-great-grandfather yeah. was a, a concert pianist. And um, we are naturally afraid of snakes. Right. That is I, It's yeah. imprinted in us. So I kind of wonder sometimes, like, for example, uh, a haunted prison. Well, just its very nature is going to feel haunted because of both societal and probably in our past, we might have relatives we don't want to talk about. <laughs> I'm speaking for myself here, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never tell. But um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say that nothing is impossible. I mean, the universe is so big that it would almost be silly to not say there can't be something out there. Well, I've had people who have called in with uncanny premonitions, and they've just been amazing. And mm-hmm. there have been a couple of times I've told people this. There's two I've, <laughs> There's two explanations here. One, you're lying. Or two, and I've said it in a very nice way. Right. Or, and... I would add, and I, you know, occasionally if I get somebody who thinks that they're totally snowing me, I won't, I won't, um, I won't hear the story. I said, A, I don't think you're lying. And then B, I think the other possibility is you had a premonition. Now, how does that work? Mm. What is the mechanism behind that? I don't know. But I, I think, think there's those a third. Things exist. Go you're ahead. mistaken. Go ahead. I think there's a third. You're mistaken. That That is a third. Well, that's they true. could They could be fooled by themselves or a circumstance that they don't completely know or understand. I mean, I, I, one example is where I live, we have egrets and great blue herons. Have you ever seen them fly? I have not. They look just like pterodactyl. <laughs> their profile, their shape. Right. They really, and you can see, you're like, oh, that's how they're like dinosaurs and dinosaurs are related to birds that you know that's the latest theory so i, I think that there could be that too you know um what well, is i it? think in some cases that uh, premonition i don't see how that would happen quite as easily but i do believe definitely with ufos i've no doubt mm-hmm. that many people think that they saw something that was otherworldly and they saw the planet venus or whatever i think that right. happens all the time on the other hand I think when we get reports from people like pilots who have seen those kind of things their entire life and they're trained, and I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure. One uh, interesting example that came up a few years ago was the gentleman who was the pilot for Obama on his first campaign, his first mm-hmm. presidential campaign. And I'm sure that this guy was vetted to the nth degree, oh, sure. uh, mentally tested, all those things. And he told this very elaborate UFO story. Now, what reason, you know, sometimes by people coming forward, not necessarily callers on my show, because it's, you know, with first names only, you know, maybe somebody sure. that knows them might hear it, but it's not going to ruin their life. But if I'm an airline pilot right. and uh, or, you know, They're flying sticks. around, yeah, th- this could blow back negatively to me. So what? What, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he's absolutely right, but when I hear from pilots and, and people that are credible and like this Navy pilot that was on Rogan, when I hear, yeah, this was something and it was not probably of this earth. And if it was something like I've never seen. I that warrants investigation. Yeah. I, 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 I'm I, not I, saying don't investigate. Right. And I would <laughs> say the vast majority of things that are termed supernatural are totally ex- explicable. For example, you see the TV shows where you have the guys with the EV, the um, EMF meter. Electromagnetic field. And they're going crazy. They're in an old building, okay? They're an old building and they're waving around these meters that are supposed to pick up electrical energy, right? Right. This old building that probably has electricity from 1927. Sure. There's going to be electrical leak. Well, it, it makes me think of the old dowsing sticks. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not that different. Oh, look, it's bending. Yeah, it's a, that's that's an interesting one. I've been wanting to do a show on this. You know, all these years I've not done one. So I got to do that one. You you should. And and they are creepy. I will admit that in the weird sense my dad would use them to find water. Yeah. And, and then even with something like that, I wonder if like you're sensing water and you're somehow... If there's something in this that senses what it's not supernatural per se, but something in this that senses water and maybe causes, um, they talk about this with a Ouija board. Is it idiom? I was going to say Ouija board, yeah. but you're moving it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so maybe, maybe there's something innately with us where we can sense water, but we don't know it. We don't understand it. It's right. It could be something we smell. Something. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you stand over water and you have these small movements that you can't perceive and you're causing these sticks to move. I mean, to me, I can that's actually pretty, see that. That's pretty wild. I mean, that's well, because pretty the cool. stick magnifies the, <laughs> the minutest thing. So right. if some for some reason it causes a slight tremor or reaction in you or whatever, then the stick would show a wider variance. Right. And that right. could make sense. Sure. Yeah. So it's um it's one of those things where again I still hold out that and I had Michael Shermer on the show and he was really uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the skeptic the Dr. oh I know Michael, Michael Shermer I went to look for the episode and I was like. <laughs> That's in the archives. And he's the kind of guy that I can have a conversation with because he's not like, you people are stupid idiots. No, he has That's a sense like, of humor. Can, he has a sense of humor. He's a nice guy. He disagree. I can say with him, well, Dr. Shermer, in a small account of, uh, percentage of cases, I disagree with you. And he says, well, I disagree with you, Jim. And uh, we move forward. I mean, I only talked yeah. to him the one time, but he was very, I, I, I think we've lost that in our society, the ability to disagree, to agree to disagree. But even he, look it up on Scientific American. He wrote about an experience he had when he got married uh, here several years ago and with his wife and with a radio. And at the end, he said, boy, that seemed like a supernatural occurrence. And he didn't totally discount it. He didn't totally discount it. It was really remarkable. And it was like, see, even the biggest skeptic has that, oh, there was this one time. And, well, if you can uh, get James Randi, then I'll be impressed. Well, yeah, I think that would be... Uh, <laughs> That would be um, that would be honestly one of those things where I I think he would not be uh, and I don't know his status these days but I don't think he'd be that interested uh, be no. that interested I'll actually um, that that Shermer article from Scientific American I'll I'll chat it to you so you have it because Please it's do. really it's really worth reading fantastic well you know what on that note I think people need to check out your show so they can discover for themselves I agree I agree well they can find. And Ryan, thank you for this opportunity to chat. It's been a lot of fun. They can find the shows anywhere podcasts are found. Just look up Jim Harold, J-I-M-H-A-R-O-L-D, or my website, not real complicated, jimherald.com. And you can find me on social media at the Jim Harold on Instagram and Twitter, and just look up Jim Harold on Facebook. So I'm in all those different places. Pretty easy to find. Oh, fantastic. And hey, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. And it's been a lot of fun. And Stay spooky. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Hey, I'm Studio Steve. And I'm Veronica. And we, and we are, are the, the Podcast. We have a podcast all about podcasting. We cover everything related to the craft. 
how to start a podcast, how to improve a podcast, how to promote a podcast, and how to reach a bigger audience. So come check out our podcast, Pod Sound School. We're on all of the podcast players or on our website, podsoundschool.com. We are dedicated to provide our podskis with up-to-date, easy, and actionable information, sometimes outrageous and always fun. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hi, this is Kara Mayer-Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said. I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in LA and you're an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the 12th grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I gotta talk to somebody. It's really famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. 